episode 117 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back. The Path Back is an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction or any type of compulsive sexual behavior. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction or has tried to put it behind them in the past and uh, continues to turn back to that, even if they say this is the last time, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. You can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And you can reach me at contact at tonyoverbay.com, contact at pathbackrecovery.com. And please go to tonyoverbay.com, sign up to get information on upcoming podcasts, a newsletter that is launching soon, and uh, programs, books, all kinds of fun and exciting things. And you can find me on Instagram at Virtual Couch, and there is a Virtual Couch YouTube channel as well. So there has been a lot of demand for the return of this guest. You've probably read it in the title already. It is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. If you haven't already done so, please make sure you check out episode 45. That was the first time that I had Jennifer on my podcast, and that episode is neck and neck with episode 12 on raising your emotional baseline for the most downloaded episodes of The Virtual Couch. And I think when I checked last, that uh, Dr. Fife's episode is in the lead. So what does that tell us? It tells us that talking about intimacy is something that we need to do, and it's hard. It's difficult for a lot of couples to do that, and so I think that they are willing to, to look for anyone who can help, who can give advice, who can talk about what a healthy, intimate relationship looks like. And uh, Dr. Fife is one of the best at doing so. And so I am so grateful that she is willing to make a return to the virtual couch. There's kind of a funny story about how this came about. And we talk about that on the podcast. So if you are not familiar with Dr. Fife or her work, um, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, you can find her at finlayson-fife.com. And she is a licensed psychotherapist who specializes in relationship and sexuality counseling. In addition to her dissertation research on LDS women's sexuality and relationship to desire, she has also taught college-level human sexuality courses as well as community and internet-based relationship and sexuality workshops. And if you go to her website, she has some online programs that are incredibly popular, and I have uh, had many, many clients take those. Um, The online course is a couple's relationship course, a couple's sexuality course, a women's sexuality and desire course, and a how to talk to your kids about sex course. So I highly recommend those. And she does workshops and events all over the country. So you can sign up to find out more on her website, finlaysonfife.com. So without any further ado, let me get to the interview with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Well, and that, uh, the, the, well, the big question is, where are you today? I'm in Lisbon, Portugal. Wow. And you've been gone yeah. for a while, right? How many days? September. We left uh, beginning of September. And oh. so we're like, what would that be? Like six, seven months into this. I didn't realize it's it was been, that long. Yeah. It's been phenomenal. So we've been all over. You know, we were in the UK and then we were in New Zealand and Australia and then Asia, Singapore and Kuala Lumpur and, and then now Europe. So we're kind of starting. We were just in Africa last weekend and. Wow, um, and now we're heading kind of up into Europe. So we'll, we've done Spain. We'll do France. So and, and anyway, are, it's been amazing. When do you get back uh, to the U.S.? Uh, the middle of June. Wow. So, okay, I did not realize that. Um, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. But what do you yeah. mi- what do you miss? What do you miss from home? Oh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no food. No pizza. You're from Chicago, right? Nothing like that. 
honestly, I, I, I don't feel any sense of missing it um, right now. I'm sure if I were doing this for a very long time. Yeah. Um, um, I, I was just remembering, Tony, for some reason I was thinking I had said all this to you, but it was actually another person that interviewed me because we as a family decided to take our kids out of school and just travel for nine, ten oh, okay. months. So I'm talking to you as if you knew that. Well, and, and I was, th- and so, it's funny, I was thinking, I, sh- I should probably know this, right? Okay. No, that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to you like you do know. And then I'm like, wait a minute, that was that other person. So that was Preston Pugmire. But, but, um, so, uh, anyway, but, um, yeah, so we took the kids out of school and just happened to work for everybody. My son is going to college in the fall and he was, uh, only had a couple classes left to do, which he's done online and so things like that. Wow. So, and my husband and I both can work, um, online. And so we just took the show on the road. And so it's been really phenomenal experience. So you've been doing a lot of, have you been so, doing the retreats and workshops and that sort of thing? All I've done, you? I did. Yeah. I, I've done a, let's see, two, I've done two things. So I did one thing before I left. My family went ahead of me to England, and I did a women's retreat. Then I flew back for a couples retreat. Then we did a couples retreat in Italy. So I was um, just there. Uh-huh. And now I'm flying back for or- to Oregon to do another women's retreat. Well, but that's the tell me about that, too. Thing. I mean, because yeah. this is going to air pretty quickly. I mean, I'm going to maybe try to get it out tomorrow, Friday. So Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So May, let's see, May 1st through the 4th. We are doing another women's retreat in outside of Portland, Oregon, and we did this last year, and it was a huge success. It was it's the Art of Desire class mm-hmm. that I teach uh, for women, um, LDS women, about their relationship to themselves, to their bodies, and to desire, uh-huh. to both in general in their lives and sexually. And so I've taught that course in a two-day form, but I expanded to three days to just have more time with the content, more video clips, more discussion. I teach in the evenings as well. You know, there's exercise, there's good food, and it's really, it's, you know, it's more than two times better than the two-day retreat because because women have more time to connect with one another and to really immerse themselves in the content, and so you really do see a transformation happen from the beginning of day one to the end of day three. Okay. So, um, so we only have about 10 spots left, but, uh, but that, you know, uh, it's just, there are those 10 spots. So it's, uh, grab it's a grab great them, opportunity. Grab them quick. Right. Um, and I'll, yeah. I'll put links in the show notes as well. Um, I have right. to, I have to tell the story of how this came about. Right. So I was sitting in a session. I've got my iPad in front of me. I'm taking notes. I'm probably asking somebody how they feel right in that moment. And I'm, I'm very present with my client, but a text does come through from my nephew and he says in all caps, they're talking about you in my psychology class and he goes to BYU. And so uh-huh. it, it was funny. The, the, the imposter syndrome kicks in. I think, is he saying I'm a fraud, you know, or what's the, <laughs> and the conversation? And then when he gets back to me, he lets me know that there, the professor was talking about our interview that we did about a year ago on my podcast, just talking about uh, couples uh, intimacy and, and challenges and ways to communicate. And I was really grateful. So um, that was kind of neat to hear that we, we yeah. were, uh, we were a part That's of great. the, right. The, the subject matter, but, and I have to, I don't think I shared this part with you. He then told me later that he had presented the, the professor presented it as that you were an expert. And I was, uh, I think he said something to do with, I had something to do with pornography. So then one of the, one of the women <laughs> in the, op, uh, in the class said, you know, Oh, that's horrible that he makes his living of that. And, and it was like, no, I'm not a porn star. You know, I, <laughs> I help men overcome pornography addiction. And so I thought that was funny. So hopefully people heard that second part and people aren't, you know, Googling me and and getting, I don't know. 
thinking less of me. So, but so I, I so I'm grateful yeah. you taking the time, especially with you on the road. And, uh, and I just, you know, I had kind of initially said, Hey, I'd love to talk about one thing, but then man, the more I think about, uh, the second part of the topic I, I had asked you about, I, I wouldn't mind uh, if we maybe started there. And that's the, the sure. concept of, and do you run into this a lot? The, I'll, I have, I work with women who will just say, what do I do if I no longer find my spouse attractive or physically attractive? Do you run into that? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, and so what do people do about it? I mean, yeah. I think the question for me around that is why yeah. do they not find their spouse attractive and, and what's happening in the marriage? Um, you know, is it, uh, and basically would you be okay with your spouse applying the same standard you're applying mm. to you? Like, are you in a double standard? Yeah. Um, or would you understand if your spouse felt the same way, given the same behaviors or whatever? Um, but I think the question of why don't they? And, you know, sometimes people don't feel desire, I would say oftentimes, because their spouse has disappointed them, because yeah. there isn't a lot of investment in creating a vibrant, lively, uh, sexual relationship it, that they've kind of just wanted the sexual part of the relationship to take care of itself mm -hmm. and rather than taking care of it as a couple. And so, you know, are you not attracted because you aren't creating that kind of energy in your marriage? Are you not attracted because your spouse is doing things that are unattractive yeah. and out of good judgment. And we could talk more about that if you want. Okay. Um, or is it that you haven't really chosen your spouse and you haven't really invested and you haven't really, you know, made a decision that this is where you're going to bring your whole self and your best self. And so the lack of desire is more, it's a way to get out of the pressure that a marriage places on all of us, mm. at least a choice-based marriage. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of people will kind of use the idea of their lack of attraction and almost cultivate it in their own minds as a way of not having to deal more straightly with the marriage and with themselves and their role in it. Well, and I, and I appreciate that. And maybe if, uh, if I we even start from, I think when I see it a lot, it's coming from a if I'm working with someone who is working through betrayal trauma, if their their partner has had a physical affair, an emotional affair, or if they, you know, just found out that their husband has been um, addicted to porn for years, and so they've they've just mm -hmm. got this, uh, it's kind of shaken the foundation of their their marriage, yes. right? And so so yeah. I like what you're saying there. I feel like at times is that more of the um, the emotional piece? Oh yeah, oh definitely it can be, and you know. Uh, for me, what I want to think about with that is, is this person's lack of desire a function of good judgment or poor judgment? Okay. Meaning, um, is their spouse behaving in a way that is truly untrustworthy mm. and that this is not a person that anyone in good judgment is going to want to open her heart and body up to? Okay. And so I don't see the lack of desire as a problem. <laughs> you know, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm seeing it as an expression of her self-respect. Yeah. Okay. If she's been with someone who's been lying to her for years or who's been unfaithful, um, that's a function of self-respect. And I, I, I'm not saying that it needs to end there. The conversation needs to end there, right. but I certainly can understand where it's coming from. Um, on the other hand, I do see a lot of people that kind of, um, claim and foster a victim 
position in their marriage mm. uh, that often has some basis, right? Yeah. But that it takes on its own life because it, be- it, it becomes a solution to their own anxieties about sex, intimacy, choosing a partner. And basically that what they're doing is saying, you know, because you haven't fulfilled some unrealistic fantasy of what a marriage should be, right? That yeah. you revolve around me. You make me feel good all the time. Your sexuality is only a reinforcement of me and my sense of self when I want it. If you won't do that, then I'm going to punish you for being a disappointment and a failure. And I can go find a whole group of women who will agree with me on this mm. and on this, you know, my betrayal trauma, and I don't have to deal with myself in the marriage. And, and so sometimes people will kind of lock down on their victim position and their lack of attraction as a way to get themselves out of yeah. growing up in the marriage, really knowing their partner, really, uh, dealing more straightly with the marriage. I mean, I, I think, and I'm certainly not, you know, people are always responsible for their actions, right? right? Because they're the ones making them, but there's often a context in which people make their decisions. And, you know, oftentimes couples collude in a dishonest marriage. They, they make it difficult to have an honest conversation with them. And so they, they certainly make it easy for there to be a kind of undercurrent of, deception or non-truthfulness and then when that becomes explicit you know a lot of times people can kind of go blind to their own participation in a low intimacy marriage yeah because of two people who really struggle uh, or don't haven't yet developed enough of a sense of self to show up and tolerate the exposure that's inherent to an intimate marriage. Well, I like what you're saying about if, if is, is it, I don't know if you use the word reprehensible or, but is it something mm-hmm. that the, let's just say that the husband is doing that is just, um, you know, if, if he's not being there for the partner. Cause I feel like, uh, when I do the couple's work, if the husband is trying to do the repair, he's trying to do, you know, a nice, uh, emotionally focused therapy and attachment injury apologies. And, and then he's being there or he's doing this. He was trying to be there, trying to have those conversations. Um, I, I feel like is that, and I like where you're going with that. And, you know, the acceptance and commitment therapy world, is she, is she hooking or fusing to that? I don't find him physically attractive. So if, if she can believe or fuse to that story, then she doesn't have to <laughs> lean in or do the work or go through that uncomfortable yeah. part. Exactly. Because I've worked with a lot of people who, you know, there's a basis for their lack of uh, desire. There's a basis for their lack of attraction. And then their spouse really does get it together. Self confronts really becomes a better person. They know their spouse is more trustworthy. Yeah. And, uh, and will even acknowledge he's really made changes and I respect it. But then they still want to kind of hold on to, well, but, you know, I yeah. don't know if I can forgive him. I don't know if I can really open my heart up. I don't know. I mean, that's legitimate. Everybody has to make their decision about right. what they're going to do. But I see it often. They're, they're putting it in this issue of, I don't know if I can forgive him because maybe it's too little too late. But not really focusing on their own anxiety about intimacy. I don't mean just sex. I right. mean really letting yourself be knowable. Yeah. Really showing up and knowing this other person as a flawed human being and you yourself showing up as a flawed human being. A lot of people don't want to do that. And so they'd rather find a reason why 
they would do it if only their spouse would get it together. I like that because I do often say that uh, when I'm, if I get the woman then one on one, if you know if he is meeting those emotional bids and he's there for her and she knows if she goes to him with the trigger that he's going to respond uh, appropriately, then you know lovingly and gently is that then where she can kind of say, all right, maybe I do need to look at, am I, am I fusing to this thought or now, now I, cause I feel like a lot of times in the betrayal trauma world, they, they, they don't want to say that they necessarily have to do anything. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a generalization, <laughs> yeah. right? But it's like, look, he's yeah. the one that did the betrayal and uh, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need to do any. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's at least not a view you're going to find a lot of sympathy for, from me in my office, because yeah. I mean, I, I, listen, I mean, if, if someone, goes and has an affair and has lied to you for five years about it. Yeah. I'm not talking about that the woman has somehow um, is responsible right. for this guy's choice, obviously. Exactly. But, but on the other hand, um, people do need to look at what their part is in a marriage and um, which may be putting up with garbage from the other person. Okay? Mm-hmm. But I really understand it as how is this couple linked and how have they put themselves together as a couple and how has that sort of created an equilibrium in each of them so they don't have to grow because that's what as human beings we tend to do. And I think a lot of people get stuck around this betrayal, trauma, uh, infidelity thing. They, they, kind of go and find their intimacy with their respective groups, meaning the, the betrayal trauma group and the porn addict group, for mm. example, Yeah. rather than really growing into a more honest, intimate choice-based marriage. And yeah, I, 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 yes to that. I think that when we as women have been kind of constructed as dependent upon men uh-huh. for our happiness and for our well-being, and we're the nicer ones, but we're the weaker ones. I mean, I, not very many of us want to admit to that kind of cultural idea, but a lot of us have inherited that idea. So I'll love you as long as you, husband, love me first. That's yeah. the one that a lot of us want to pull off internally. Okay. Because you're the man. Because you should make the world safe for me. Then I'll love you in response. And if you don't do that, I don't. I'm off the hook. And I think that's um, a convenient idea, but I think it's constructing ourselves as much weaker than we are as women. And that we also have promised God to love our spouse as much as they promised God to love us. Mm -hmm. And so what does it mean to love this man, flaws and all? What does it mean to choose him? What does it mean to know him? I don't mean putting up with shenanigans and betrayal or anything like that, but you know, is there a way to not just vilify and understand who this person is and how they've come to make the choices they have and how I've wanted to see them more as a solution in my life uh, rather than some someone to love and to choose. Well, and, and I, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, and I love that. And do you feel like the, and I almost feel like we're, we're both agreeing that, and that's with the um, caveat that the husband is willing to do work or try to repair right. the relationship or own yes. his own his own stuff that, like you say, uh, you know, we have, there are plenty of people that don't end up, you know, having the affair, but even though there's dysfunction or, or that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that exactly. That's assuming there's a partner who is wanting to deal with himself and is trying to grow and become better. Yeah. Um, that the the, part, the spouse is also looking at herself in the marriage. 
Um, can I take a slightly uh, different path? I, I am curious sure. your thoughts of, so, I mean, and I feel like this is the, basically the most part of what I work with. Every now and again, I do get someone that is saying, you know, my husband literally has put on 200 pounds, you know, and, and I, and I don't, I don't find him attractive and, um, you know, and then they typically want to go in and, and just be, you know, brutally honest. And, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, again, I would be looking at the reason of the why. Mm. Why has the partner put on 200 pounds and what is the meaning of it in the marriage? You know, is it that the person has a metabolic issue mm. and that there really is, you know, some issue that can't be um, changed? Yeah. Um, then I'd say, you know, is there st- still some way for you to love and choose this person? What would you want for yourself if you were in your spouse's shoes? I like that. Um, right? Like, what would you hope for? What kind of acceptance would you want to have? And are you able to offer what you would expect or what you would see as decent and fair? Um, if if it's, I think it's harder if it's that you're married to somebody who is indulgent in the marriage, right? That they're not really taking responsibility for themselves, that they're kind of in a, some kind of indulgent behavior where in this particular case, maybe with food, or if you have somebody who's indulgent in their, um, you know, with alcohol or pornography or something like that, then I think it's, it's much harder to sort of look past it because you understand there's a volitional behavior that is undesirable, yeah. right? It's, yeah. That someone is choosing a path that isn't desirable because it's a, an expression of weakness. And I don't mean that we can't choose our spouses knowing that we each have weaknesses and knowing that we're fallible human beings. I think it's a lot harder to desire somebody when you think they run their life by their weakness. Yeah. Well, and I like and, when, I, when, when I work with addiction, yeah. it's like I, I talk about there's a there's a void there somewhere. So, yeah, are they not connected in their job or as a parent or with their health or their faith? Um, so maybe yeah. coming at it with more empathy of trying to see. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Well, I would say that I mean, maybe with empathy, but also I do think that marriage, if you're going to keep passion and desire alive, it has to be a growing marriage on yeah. some level. And you have to be willing to look at yourself and have conversations about things that are difficult. And if you really want a good sexual relationship and your spouse is struggling honestly to be attracted because, you know, you're not trying, you're not putting any effort. I mean, I think if you, it may be a hard conversation to have, but I think if you are really trying to create something better, it's probably a conversation to have. Yeah. And it's not about trying to push the other person down or make them feel small. It's about trying to create something better. Yeah. Well, if like, that's really what's driving it. And, and I like you know, that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go no. ahead. Oh, I was going to say that well, empowering them as therapists and that instead of going in and saying, hey, you put on a ton of weight, you know, coming at it more with mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a more mm-hmm. of the tell me more about that. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. w- w- tell me what's going on in your life. Not a uh, this indictment, I guess. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But this exactly, and the focus of it is not about, you know, I'm going to trample you because then I have an excuse for not desiring you, but I really do want to have a good sexual relationship. And so what, kind of going back to what I was talking about initially, like, is the lack of desire a function of good judgment or poor judgment? Let's say that as a function of good judgment, you feel like your spouse 
is living indulgently or they're not respectful of you or they don't care about you except for when you climb into bed at night and this is the only time they seem to care that you're there. Your lack of desire may be a function of good judgment. You're saying this is not the kind of sex that I want. And one thing that I talk about in my women's course is that women have as much, if not more, sexual capacity than men do, but they're much pickier about where they show up and open up. And so that's, that's how we're wired. That's fine. But then it means sort of advocating for what you really want. And so if someone's saying, look, I'm not as attracted as I want to be because I want to have a good sexual relationship with you. I want this to be a good part of our lives. And the fact that you do X, Y, or Z, or if you would do more of A, B, and C, I would find it much more desirable. I would find it much easier to choose and be here. And it's not to tear the other person down. It's to actually create something better. So it's not about, hey, I just don't desire you. It's that, okay, I am having trouble. I need to think about if this is about selfishness on my part or limitations on my part, or if this is something I need to address. And if I need to address it, that I really do take it up in the frame of I want something good. Yeah, I like that. And this is this is interfering. And uh, I say it to you because I love you, right? I say it to you because I want good things for us. Um, and if you mean that, and your spouse can track that you mean it, it might be a hard conversation, but it's going to be a productive one. Yeah. I, I, so really, in how you frame it, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, on those lines, I'm dying to know your theory on this too. I think before I did the whole, uh, you know, became a therapist, uh, I call it the mm. beauty and the beast theory where, mm. you know, um, love will, will rule regardless. I, it doesn't matter if I mm-hmm. find the person even in the slightest bit attractive. Um, we, it doesn't really matter, uh, but you know, what do you see with that? Do you, do you think that's, tr- well, I, I mean, I do think there's something to kind of, a a kind of visceral attraction, uh-huh. um, which is not the same thing that it will make you happily married. Yeah. But there is some research. I think Gottman talks about some of this research, uh, where there's certain people that other certain people will find attractive kind of over and over certain characteristics, certain, you know, I always was kind of drawn to sort of lanky guys, like not buff, but like kind of slender. Uh-huh. And that's exactly the person I'm married <laughs> to. Right. And, um, and, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that just sort of will sort of feel an immediate kind of attraction. I definitely felt that when I first met my husband. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important. And when we, when we are dismissive of that, I don't think we do ourselves a favor. What we should be dismissive of, of that is, is of the idea that that's enough for a good marriage Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> because it's not, there's a lot of people that are very attracted to each other, but that are mean, selfish people <laughs> they are incapable of creating something good. Right. And yeah. so it's not everything, but it is something, um, uh, that said, um, I think that a lot of people who felt very attracted in the beginning will, uh, undermine their feelings of attraction, things will happen in the marriage as we're talking about that will undermine attraction. And you may feel no attraction to the person that you once felt a, a feelings of attraction when you first met them. And that's not about something fundamental to who the person is. It's about what you've been creating as a couple in the marriage that's undermining desire. If you are one of these people who married somebody in part because they, they weren't that attractive to you. And I know a lot of people who've done this. 
because they found it safer. Safer, yeah. They found it like easier if they could just say, "You're going to be the father or the mother of my children," yeah. and I can sort of desexualize you because I like sex and I like those feelings, but I'm afraid of them mm-hmm. in a marriage. Well, I think it's harder. But just to be completely honest, I think it's a really indecent thing to do in a marriage. I think it's a really unfair thing to marry someone holding the secret that you're not that attracted to them. Mm. Because you've now entrapped somebody who feels your lack of desire and you're just kind of putting up with them sexually every single time they're with you. And I think that's a very humiliating thing to do to somebody. Yeah, it creates Um, an an unhealthy relationship with intimacy in general, right? uh, Absolutely, and it's going to undermine the whole marriage because I think the sexual choosing part of the relationship is really fundamental to the foundation of a marriage in a choice-based marriage. Mm. I mean, if we were in arranged marriages, that's that's a different framing and a different understanding. But in a choice-based marriage, part of the the understanding is that I choose you, I desire you, and you desire me. And of all the choices, we have made one another special. And the part of the specialness is that we share our sexuality with one another, and we choose each other. And I think when that doesn't play out in a marriage, or you don't hold that as an important part of the marriage and something you have a responsibility to an understanding you have a responsibility to it wreaks havoc on the marriage yeah you know i i, I did a podcast on a concept that um uh, dr skinner kevin skinner talks about and it's these levels of intimacy and where you know it's natural to go in at this physical attraction but then underneath that physical are these layers of uh, verbal intimacy and emotional intimacy and cognitive and intellectual intimacy mm-hmm. spiritual intimacy and that if we mm-hmm. just go in at that physical you know, then if we're trying to have that verbal intimacy and we can't even talk to our partner for a while, yeah. we can say, well, at least they're hot, you know, or at least we have sex. Yeah. And then, then we ju- you know, jump back down to emotional intimacy and, and they, they don't meet our emotional bids. And OK, but at least, you know, there's the physical and that uh, that kind of sets things off in a, a pretty negative pattern. But if you nurture yeah. those those levels kind of from the ground up, the, the you know, this uh, verbal and emotional, then physical intimacy is the byproduct of and what a different experience that is other than the you know, it's just, we're going to have, we're going to have sex, right? Instead of the, we feel like it's the, the, the next thing that we need to do because we feel so connected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that you, yes, you can't build a marriage on just sexual attraction. I mean, I think that's clearly going to fall apart pretty quickly if that's the only thing you share because a marriage is so much more than just having sex. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But on the other hand, I don't think we should make sex the thing that you arrive at after all the other pieces are in place. Sure. I'm not sure if that's how Skinner talks about it. No, no. As a matter of fact, he talks about that, you know, when those things are intact, then it's, it it is even easier to then, um, he he kind of referenced, uh, there was a sex therapist when he uh, introduced this named Pat Love who said, you know, she, she has a small libido, her husband has a large libido. And when those things are intact, you know, she now feels like when he, she knows if he needs, um, I mean, basically if he needs sex, if he's stressed or whatever, then she knows, uh, I think she said the phrase, I can just pull him over and give him a quickie in the closet, you know, which everybody laughed about, (laughs) but it was like, yeah, so it wasn't saying we have to, it always has to build, you know, these layers up, but that sure helps um, secure the connection. Yeah. I think it's part of the foundation the, the emotional intimacy and the physical intimacy are just 
fundamental to a good marriage. And yeah. if it's only one or only the other, I think the marriage struggles. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think we, we owe it to ourselves to understand not the importance of having sex. That's not really what I'm saying so much as the importance of desire in marriage. Yeah. Which is not the same thing as having intercourse. Because a lot of people have intercourse without desire. Yeah, well, and that's and a... I mean that you choose this person that you want them in your life. Well, and that's perfect segue. I mean, if you, if you just a couple more minutes, so that's what you and I were both on. Uh, I love sure. this. Uh, I love marriage theriyaki. I think we were we were both on that. Oh, for, yeah. Right? That was fun. Your episode yes. was fantastic. Um, and Thank the... You. Uh, you, you talked there about low desire and high desire. And, and I, you know, again, I run into this all the time of the, the high desire person just saying, if we only had more sex, the low desire person feeling like, you know, when he pouts and goes about it in a certain way, I feel like eventually I just have to give in. And then it just mm-hmm. creates this like unhealthy dynamic. Can you kind of talk about low desire, high desire? Uh, yeah, it's sure. It's, a, it's kind of a broad. I'm trying to think where to step into that. Okay. But yes. Uh, it's a very, but how yes, about, how about when uh, you know I get I get the guys that they look at me and they you know I think and I don't even know if it's because as a male therapist they assume that I'm going to have their back so to speak when they just say look when <laughs> I when I have more sex I'm a happier um, I'm a better husband better father better at work and they look over at me and then I typically look at the wife and I mean just having done this for a while now uh, mm-hmm. we're knowing that she'll say okay I basically feel like I'm responsible for his his happiness you know every his world mm-hmm. and and you know here we have that. Mm-hmm. So she's the low desire partner in that situation. Mm-hmm. He's the high desire mm-hmm. and uh, they've created yeah. this kind of negative relationship with sex and intimacy in general. Yeah. Um, because I, first of all, I think if a husband starts out in that framing, he's toast. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not the, that, all right, there's the quote, framing. there's the quote for the podcast that, right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if, he, if a husband starts out in that framing, he's screwed. Yeah. He's not screwed. Okay. Oh yeah. Good point. I like toast. We'll go with toast. Yeah. Toast is better. Okay. Mm. But, uh, you know, he's, uh, in the sense that he's, uh, he, because it's setting it up that, uh, you need to take care of my emotional world through putting out. Yeah. Now, if the two of them buy into that idea, she may put out, but she won't desire him. She's yeah. not going to choose him because she's got a job to do, which is propping up his sense of self. And so if she feels like she's got to handle his feelings so he doesn't pout and punish exactly, and, and so on, it's just like having another kid that you've got to take care of. And then he's like, why don't you want me? What, what's your problem? Right. Yep. Maybe you need to go to Finlay's and Vice workshop. Because, I have know, had those conversations in here. Exactly. You don't, <laughs> <laughs> you don't desire me. Yeah. And he's not seeing that he's setting up a framing of sexuality that he thinks is going to get him more. Right. It might get him more sex, but it's not going to get him wanted. And, and if a woman sees sex as something she gives to a man and that a man needs, quote unquote, it's, it's going to go that way. Yeah. Because I don't see it that way. I, I mean, I see it as men and women uh, don't need sex. I mean, they both can survive without it. So right. it's not, it is not a need, capital N need. It's not a survival reality. It is part of thriving. It's part of living a good life. Uh, and desiring and being desired is really part of a good marriage. But then the question is not, how do I just get this guy off my back? But right. How do I create a marriage uh, where 
uh, sex is a good part of it, that sex would be desirable for me. And how would my higher desired spouse need to handle him or herself differently to make um, themselves more choosable, right? Yeah. Or to get it out of this framing that I have to do this to manage your sense of yourself. So it's this need idea is one that a lot of people buy into, but actually then infects the marriage. Mm. Especially the idea that men need it. Yeah. No, I like that because I do feel like when I am, I love everything you said there. When I turn to the guy and to say, all right, she now feels like she's in charge of that. And, and, uh, and so you've created this unhealthy dynamic. Basically what I'm trying to start the process of is letting the guy know, and he will say, okay, so if I do this for a little while, I, you know, I don't make it her feel like she always has to have sex with me. Then will we eventually have more sex? You know, I do feel like that's basically <laughs> what he's looking at me and, and it's no, but I feel like the guy then is, is telling me that, no, I don't get it, you know, the, and, but it's really, mm-hmm. you know, you, you work with people long enough to see that they do feel that they can have a connection without it having to be with sex or the wife can lay in their lap. And if he gets aroused, it doesn't mean, well, we have to set, have mm-hmm. sex or they hug. And yeah. if, he, if, he, if she, op- if it's an open mouth kiss, it doesn't mean, okay, I'm having sex tonight. You know, and that's where mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, how, how far some of the, I feel like some of the spouses pull away because they don't even want to give any indication of that. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, well, there's a lot of that where women feel like if he gets aroused, then I don't have any choices. Exactly. Which right? I think is crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. It is. It really is. I mean, I mean, I don't mean, I'm not trying to say women are crazy. I'm just trying to say that that's a, that's a framing also in a marriage that will undermine intimacy because right. I think a good marriage is you're going to feel arousal oftentimes where no sex happens. It's just part of being in a marriage where you desire and feel desired. Yeah. And that's a, even a good part of the foreplay, even if it's a few days before having sex, that there's this kind of ability to touch and be with one another and feel arousal and not have to have it mean that now you have, you're going to get while the getting's good. You know, that's (laughs) (laughs) that, that idea makes people just try to stay away from the higher desire person. Um, and so I, I think, you know, when the guy is asking you, well, if I stop, you know, pressuring or pouting. Does that mean I'm going to have more? Um, I'm trying to think how I would respond to that. I mean, I think on the one hand, I would say this is not a tactic. Exactly. No, well said. <laughs> this is not yeah. about how to manipulate more astutely. Okay. This is, this is about the fact that you are making your spouse responsible for something that is not her responsibility. She's not responsible for your sense of desirability. What, and You're not responsible for your sense of self. Yeah. And, and you I don't, are responsible for having respect for yourself and seeing yourself as a desirable human being. Well, it, she gets to decide if she's going to choose you. She gets to decide if she has sex with you. She's going to decide if she's going to confront her own anxieties yeah. and limitations. But that's her responsibility. And when you're trying to make sex about uh, something she has to do so you can handle yourself, yeah. you, you have made yourself a very undesirable partner. Absolutely. And then, and then this is a part where I feel like if, you know, guys listening will, I'm sorry, but they will resonate with this part. So then if, uh, if it didn't happen that night, you know, if they were, if they, okay, fine, we'll cuddle, you know, but I had it, you know, I was aroused and nothing yeah. happened and, and then they go to bed angry and they still kind of try to, you know, p- poke a little bit at her. Is she awake? Is yeah. she not? Then they wake up the next morning and they, and now they're ruminating about it and they're in the shower and yeah. they're like, what's wrong with yeah. this? You know, I'm not getting, and then they go to work and they're just angry. Yeah. But then you're teaching someone instead of like exactly what you just said. If it, I mean, I love when a guy 
I get to the point where, and, and I will teach mindfulness. I mean, they're going to go to bed and they're going to have this thought and it's not really a productive thought. So they're going to breathe through it. They're going to be present. They're going to be grateful that, you know, they are coming closer together and then they wake up the next morning and now they don't ruminate in the shower. They, I don't know they're, they're thinking of other thoughts and productive things and they go to work and they're happy and they're not doing the, you know, what's wrong with this marriage. Mm-hmm. If she just had more sex, yeah. we'd be happy, you know, and, and it's a, and look at all that unproductive time and, and mental energy that now is gone. And then over time, I feel like you're, you're right. Then the guy realizes, oh, wow, I, I don't have to have sex, you know, 3.6 times a week to be happy or whatever it is that yeah. he's come up with. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, and all exactly. And I, I need to handle myself. I mean, this is yeah. all we have control over in marriage is ourselves. Yeah. And the more confused we get about that, the more unhappy the marriage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So I think that, you know, I can't make anyone desire me. I can't make anyone choose me. That's what makes it so beautiful is that if it really is freely offered and you know there's no coercion and someone chooses you or brings their best to you, you know what a gift it is. Yeah. When you're always coercing, even if they comply, you never get, you never have the sense of feeling really chosen. And I think for those of us who struggle with our sense of self, we're, many of us are going to feel tempted to coerce because we don't want to know the answer of whether or not this person chooses us. Well, that's good. And so I see it not just as um, managing your thoughts, but a very important process in growing into adulthood is being able to handle your own sense of self in the face of invalidation. Yeah. In the face of not being wanted or uh, reinforced in the way that we would most like and not having this throw us into uh, a kind of disorganized emotional state, that's important work. And it's not work you're doing because of your defective partner. Right, yeah. (laughs) It's work you're doing that's a part of becoming an adult. Yeah. Right. This is like what I think Christ was quintessentially was a non-reactive, purposeful being who could tolerate invalidation, could tolerate the the disagreement or that people would see him as someone other than who he really was because he had enough sense of self to sustain it, to not get vindictive or cruel and to stay invested in creating goodness in the face of that invalidation. Wow. That's that's really a hallmark of goodness. Yeah. And it's a hallmark of strength. And, you know, if you don't learn how to do that in a marriage, you're going to have a hard time creating a good marriage because it's so fundamental to creating something better. You know, just the other day I was having a conversation with my husband. And I was telling him something invalidating of himself. Uh-huh. I was giving him some thoughts that were... Uh, a criticism, I suppose, is what I would say. I wasn't being mean. I was just saying honestly something that was hard for me. Uh-huh. And um, he just honestly absorbed the conversation and responded to it and was thoughtful about it. And, you know, what was interesting is even though it was not a really easy conversation, I was just, afterwards, I just felt so much traction to him because (laughs) I just said to him, I'm so grateful. You're the kind of person that can, that will handle that kind of conversation without being punitive or mean or saying mean things back to me. And I I just really respect it. And and that's, 
the imagine that's sort of the ability to kind of deal with hard things and walk towards them and look at your role in them. It's really fundamental to creating, to being a good parent, to being a good partner, to being a good human being. And so that's fundamental to learning how to be a desirable person, actually. So I think a lot of us get a lot more fixated on whether or not our spouse desires us than whether or not we genuinely see ourselves as choosable, as worthy. And that's the part we have control over. It does, and it does take work. I mean, it, right? I mean, it, oh yeah, yeah. I, do you feel like your husband Absolutely. was a, a natural at that, or has that been something that uh, has evolved over time? I think it's evolved some over time, but yeah. he's probably more natural at it than I have been. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think the first year of marriage, I'm like, that, no, that's wrong. You know, right? Exactly. I'm awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's what I'm curious. I mean, I'm just thinking through a couple of difficult couple sessions yesterday where. You know, you, you, I feel like we're, we're making some point that is, is like that we want, you know, don't you want your partner to be able to come to you and share their, their mm-hmm. feelings and emotions and, and somebody will say, yeah. And then they'll say, you know, mm-hmm. but then there's the, you wait for it. And then it's like, but they need to be, you know, but they, they need to be nice about it or, but they can't be, mm-hmm. and it's, well, okay. You can't put the rules around it though, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you're then telling right. your partner, you know, no, I want you to do that as long as you do it kind of the way I would like for you to, because that, yeah, yeah what, that's what makes me comfortable. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think you can be honest about things and still respectful. Absolutely. Clearly, you know, I yeah. mean, you can't, but I also agree that basically, are you going to deal with what's true about you, whether or not it gets said nicely? Yeah. I mean, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's really the measure in the question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That is, I, I, I love that we went there. I, I do. Um, I, I am so grateful for your time, Jennifer. I mean, I, you know, I didn't, yeah, you know, I did, again, you. I didn't realize you've been traveling for months and months. And so you were so kind when I reached yeah. out and, uh, um, and yeah, just made yourself available. I, I really appreciate that. Um, Hey, I would love to, I would love to do a, another episode again. I almost felt guilty. Sure. I was grateful that my, uh, my nephew did that. Uh, Hey, you're being talked about. Cause I felt yeah. like there's my in, you know? Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I appreciate yeah, yeah, how, sure. uh, your, your generosity with your time and, uh, sure. you know, your, again, your podcast is my most downloaded by far. And the video on YouTube of our first, um, interview is the most viewed video. So you, you're doing so That's much great. good and I really appreciate that and, uh, That's appreciate great. the taking the time. All right, so people can find sure. you where, Jennifer? Uh, my website is finlaysonfife.com. And mm. so, and then I'm also on Instagram, just finlaysonfife on Facebook. I can't remember what it is on Facebook, but I think Dr. Finlayson-Fife. So, okay, I got to yeah. ask you one more quick question. Um, the sure. when, when we were on before, one of the things that people tell me and they laugh about is, I think we had both joked about there was some Wi-Fi issues at your home because oh, we, you yeah. know, was, uh, son may be playing <laughs> yeah. for, Fortnite and I was yeah. going there yeah. too. So how is the Fortnite, uh, you know, overseas? I mean, has he given it up? <laughs> I said give it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's not happening. So, so. that's the, so that's the key. As long as all you do is move your family, uh, be, you know, become a pack of nomads for about nine months and the Fortnite yeah, addiction will be gone. Exactly. Okay. I mean, that is actually part of what our thinking was, is taking this trip is just actually having a little less time online, a little bit more time actually out in the real world and, He's actually currently studying in China for a couple of months doing um, um, a language immersion program. So uh, the Wi-Fi is so bad there that um, there's no there's no Fortnite. <laughs> okay. So uh, there's the breaking news. The real reason that uh, Dr. Five left was uh, the, the get rid of Fortnite. There's the scoop. All right. Hey, thanks so much for your time. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your trip. And then uh, and I can't wait to talk to you again in the future. Great. Okay. Thanks, thanks so, so much, much, Jennifer. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Side. 